Good morning, afternoon or evening everybody and welcome to Pangolin, the conservation podcast. The show dedicated to exploring and amplifying the world's underappreciated conservation stories. The stories that inspire me and I hope will inspire you too. I'm your host Jack Baker and today I am joined by Felix Rowan Young, a forest school leader and member of the Chester Zoo Youth Board. He is here to chat about what forest schools are, how they work and how beneficial they can be for young people. We also discuss his degree in zoo management, how he made the jump from primary school teaching to outdoor education and how you train a lionfish. (laughs) It is also worth noting that this is the first part of a two-part special and next week Felix will be back to discuss his work with the Chester Zoo Youth Board. So make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out. Now, as you can tell, we have a lot to get through. So without further ado, let's get started. And welcome back to the show. I am now joined by Felix Rowan Young, the chair of the Chester Zoo Youth Board, an environmental educator, and yes, the person who invited me to speak at the Chester Zoo Youth Board. So I had to return the favour eventually and uh, let him come on the show and talk all about his amazing work. Um, So yeah, first of all, thank you so much for joining me today, Felix. Thank you for having me. You are very, very welcome. It's a, a pleasure to have you here. And yes, we've had one of your the youth board representatives already in the form of Connor. So it's big shoes to fill. So no pressure at all to get started. No, I'm only joking. No, Connor's brilliant. Um, but yeah, I was a bit jealous when I heard him. I was like, oh, maybe I can do that. <laughs> I'm sure you can. Again, we'll try and talk about slightly different topics from yes. what we talked about with Connor. We will circle back, of course, to the youth board and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll try and talk a bit more about some of your other work as well. So we're not just covering all the same same sort of stuff again. Um, but yes, uh, to get us started, I've kind of briefly introduced you there. Do you want to give a bit more of an introduction to yourself? I always think it's much easier for you to introduce yourself than it is for me to introduce you because you know all of the stuff about yourself. So why do, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Uh, you make it sound like it's really easy, Jack, but at the moment, <laughs> um, when you sent me that question, I was like, what do I actually do? <laughs> um, because uh, everything's up in the air a bit at the moment. Um, I kind of would say I'm a bit of a jack of all trades when it comes to um, what I'm doing at the moment. I've, I would say primarily I'm interested in conservation education. So um, I'm just training as a forest school leader now. Um, I was previously a primary school teacher, uh, came to my senses, you could say, and quit that. (laughs) And and then now I've just got a role, a casual role with the Wildlife Trust as an education session leader. So I've sort of gone more towards environmental education. Um, As you mentioned, I'm also on the Chester Youth Board, first as a vice chair, then as chair and um, recently have stepped down, taken a step back um, to just be a board member. So I'm seeing all aspects of that. Um, I've also just joined the FSC Youth Council, uh, the Field Mm -hmm. Studies Council. And um, in my spare time, I'm actually a competitive ballroom dancer. So 
just a bit of left field there. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, like when I'm just doing my research, I think something came up and I was like, that's an interesting hobby. It has nothing to do with anything I could ask about on the show, but I'm glad you brought it up because it's an interesting out of left field kind of way to, yeah, kind of something interesting about yourself that isn't necessarily conservation related, which is a, an interesting one. But I, as much as I'd like to do like Strictly Come podcast, I can't, we, we're going to have to, by, as much as I would like to ask about that, that's going to, we're going to have to bypass that one and leave the listeners mysteriously wondering, wanting more information. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you do want more information about ballroom dancing, uh, listeners write in and Please. let us know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we could do another podcast all about that. Um, but yes, so all of your other work, conservation related, we could talk about. Um, and it all sounds really, really interesting and all kind of focused around the worlds of kind of education and youth engagement and kind of those are the main themes I think that are gonna emerge a lot coming coming through the podcast. And I think have come up a lot in previous episodes, I think, because we like to focus on underappreciated conservation issues here. And I think for me, getting more voices into the field of conservation no matter their background and where they're from, whatever it is, is really, really important. And so I think, and and it's an issue that's not discussed enough, I think. So that's why I think you're the perfect guest to come on and speak about that. And so, yes, I wondered to to get us started, we kind of touched on a, a couple of things there, uh, but what kind of got you interested in in pursuing this career in the first place? I think it's always interesting to talk to, to young people about this because I feel like many young people kind of are having this experience of trying to work out what they want to do. And I want to know what it was for you that made you want to do kind of wildlife conservation-y things. Yeah, so I always um, felt like, you know, had a connection to nature. Um, I actually grew up in Dubai and um, I was born there and um, where we lived, you know, we were were really lucky where it was a five minute walk to the beach and then a five minute walk the other way to a park. So we were always outside, you know, playing in the garden, swimming in the sea, sort of we had pets as well. So always interested in that sense, you know, uh, the usual sort of grew up on David Attenborough documentaries. life on the un- life in the undergrowth is was you know i was given that as dvds and just inhaled that um <laughs> and, but yeah no, there was no divine uh, defining moment but i just gradually realized i was more interested in it um i was mm. homeschooled until secondary and then i went to secondary and you know it's all these new subjects i was like hmm i'm not actually interested in any of these <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and uh, apart from geography when we're doing rainforests and you know biology when we're doing plants and animals and oh actually i know a lot about it you know before we've even learnt about it and um yeah i think a real changing point was i got an aquarium when i was 13 14 and I just really got into it and I was really interested in it. So I went to um, my local um, museum aquarium and I just asked, I said, oh, I've just got an aquarium. I'm pretty interested in it. Can I volunteer or do some work uh, work experience? And they were crazy enough, you know, these full uh, curators who... um, you know, they've been the first aquarium in the world to breed certain species. And, you know, they were really high standard. And they just said, yeah, sure. And, you know, I was there 13, 14. I was like, okay. And so I just go and it was amazing. And that really set me off on my journey to then go on. I then didn't do A-levels because there weren't enough choices I was interested in. Um, 
I did a BTEC in animal management and it was the best thing I ever did. I was like, oh, this is what, you know, enjoying education and learning should be like, and then went on to do my degree in zoo management. Mm -hmm. That's really, really interesting, actually, because it's something that I guess a lot of people, I think, assume you have to be funneled through the classic, oh, you have to do English and maths and this and that, and then kind of be funneled through the classic education system. So it's interesting to hear your story, which I didn't know is completely different to most other people's experience. That's really, really interesting. Yeah, I I think um, a lot of the time, you know, kids, you know, um, teenagers and everything, young people put under so much pressure of you've got to follow that pipeline of GCSEs, A-levels, you get the degree. If it's science, you've got to do the master's. If it's going to be research-based, it's, you know, and it's a set path of academia. And um, I really found, uh, you know, I uh, had to really you know um dig around and just and actually think well what am i interested in um it doesn't really fit with this course you know a classic zoology a degree per se but actually this is more suited to my interests and you know and it was and i was almost a bit turned my nose up at the b-tech a bit but then actually looking into it it's like well it's still equivalent to the three a levels and i can apply for all the university courses i want to so why not you know and um yeah it was the best decision i made because everyone was stressing over a levels and i was there like i'm just doing an assignment on like animal husbandry (laughs) and it was brilliant it was so much fun Mm -hmm. i always found that when i was doing my masters it was like whenever we were doing animal conservation related stuff people would be like you'd see them like stressing like oh no i have to work on the statistics base like da 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 and like that does come into conservation animal management all that sort of stuff but when i'm sat there being like oh i'm writing about dolphins like (laughs) like people would just look at you like oh come on come on now <laughs> yeah it was everyone in their final years doing their dissertations and things like that and I was like I referenced Spider-Man and mine <laughs> and <all this laughs> come on to. but yeah I, I managed to write a lot of assignments on tortoises in third year I don't know how that happened it all lined up and so I was mm-hmm. like oh I'm looking a lot at tests uh you know chelonials chelonians and stuff so <laughs> I mean, can't complain, really. This is the thing, like, and yeah, I don't know what my, I feel like I fell into, like, dolphins and whales, and I, I, they're they're not something that I thought I would be, like, particularly, they weren't my thing before uni, but then I went and did conservation, and all of my essay topics ended up being about, like, river dolphins, and then we I talked about, the, uh, I did an essay about the snotbot, which is a, a, which sounds gross, listeners, and I'm very sorry, it's a, and I maybe have talked about it before, it's a robot that they use to fly when whales kind of come to the top, breathe, all of the kind of stuff that shoots out into the air this robot flies through it it's a little drone picks up all the snot and it can tell then if the whale is pregnant or if it's got any kind of strange disease or whatever it is it can pick it up which i thought was so yeah i feel like these weird things are always the most interesting uh interesting ones i've seen that it's so funny because i always just like chasing after them with boats and i'm just trying to line it up just to get a whale sneeze it's brilliant <laughs> yeah, I, I don't really envy the person who has to then catch the drone to deal with the kind of like uh... <laughs> um no that's fantastic um yes and so i guess i wanted to ask a little bit about 
your zoo management and kind of animal management kind of background because I think that's something that I didn't know a lot about and it's I guess it's probably one of those courses that when you're kind of leaving high school I think a lot of people go into very general degrees like they'll go into kind of a psychology or a politics or kind of something that isn't necessarily as kind of specific as zoo management that seems very kind of on the nose it's really kind of so what made you kind of what attracted to you to that and what kind of things does a degree in zoo management involve what's that kind of like well, um, when I was, I, I'm a bit of a planner, so mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm quite lucky in the fact that I knew quite young. I was like, this is what I want to do. I'm going to do it, and um, and I quite like researching and finding out things and just, um, you know, exhausting all options. And um, and so I was like searching, I was looking at, you know, wildlife conservation degrees, I was looking at the zoology degrees. And, you know, I could have easily probably applied for zoology at Liverpool, which is mm-hmm. a local university that's, you know, held in high regard for animal sciences courses. But actually, mm-hmm. or Bangor even, I was uh, considering that because they specialize in, um, again, uh, animal science, environmental sciences. But looking at the course content of what the modules were, what those entailed, what you were actually going to do, I thought, actually, I'm not going to get much out of this. Looking at where graduates were going, what sort of roles they were getting, and then also what the course entailed, I thought, well, a lot of these, I'm interested in modules in third year, but Mm -hmm. why would I sort of uh, you know, kind of force myself through two years of things that I'm not, uh, you know, necessarily um, interested in because a lot of these zoology, marine biology courses, it's a lot of lab work and microbiology in those first few years. And I wasn't that interested in that aspect. I was interested in the husbandry, the behavior, training, you know, looking at the whole animal and in its habitat and that conservation element rather than the specific animal biology. Mm-hmm. Um, so looking at the zoo management degree, I mean, it was it was so much, I keep on saying it, it was so much fun. It didn't feel like a real degree, you know, when, when I'm hearing what people were doing, I thought maybe I should have done something like that. But actually, I got a lot out of it. And um, yeah, the first year, I mean, it keeps on changing the course. Um, I was asked as an alumni, actually, to help with feedback on how to you know, keep on improving it, which was really nice. But it was based at a land-based college, Reese Heath College, which is why I did my BTEC. So I sort of knew the progression where I was going to go there. Um, But it was a degree from Chester, but that was just the campus for zoo management because on site they have a mini zoo. So it's fully licensed. It's open to the public as well. And they also have um, a farm because they have agricultural practices there and it's in lovely Cheshire um, countryside. So it was a nice rural university, you know, really nice to, um, you know, environment to campus to be learning on. And yeah, the actual degree in the first year, you were still doing your general topics, animal disease, animal biology, um, behavior, and um, and then a module in husbandry. So we went on rotation um, with different animals. So, you know, I was, as well as being in the outdoor zoo and, you know, indoors with different uh, taxonomical groups, we also went on the farm. So we could have management with, um, you know, your bigger mammals, because if, say, you want to be an elephant keeper, 
not many elephants you can volunteer <laughs> with. They don't just let you. Um, so actually a good way to get in is having the experience with equine and um, sort of your cows and farm animals, which actually you're going to have the same similar um, procedure, husbandry procedures um, with that you can then say, well, I've worked with as large a mammal as I possibly can without, you know, being a professional in a zoo. Um, and then, yeah, second year we went on, we were doing, um, you could then specialize more, do more behavior, animal training. So I trained a lionfish to, um, I crate trained it so that a diver could go into the tank without, you know, getting um, sort of prodded by one of the spikes and poisoned. Um, <laughs> and so that I was just, um, you know, with a stick with a, you know, a plastic ball on the end. I'm thinking, what am I doing? <laughs> you know, I've got to write assignment about this and um yeah and then third year again even more specialized i did um my uh, biology and conservation of herpetofauna so your know, amphibians and reptiles which was brilliant there was only eight of us in that um module so it was um we're just in like a tiny pod which was great and um and then also scientific communication and zoo education so that's where i started i was already doing some work with the zoo but that was a more formal um taught module that then got me thinking well what are my next steps going to be after the degree so but yeah all of the modules you know animal um conservation as well obviously zoo conservation which was a really interesting topic um covered it all it was uh yeah great Fantastic. That sounds, it's, it sounds, I'm very jealous. I'm very, very jealous. Uh, I, yes, I am very, very jealous that I did not do something like that because it sounds fascinating and so specific in some ways into things that I have kind of skills that I've had to learn on my own almost. And it would have been nice to have that kind of guidance, especially with things like education and kind of, um, yeah, I think it's such an interesting kind of combination of things especially i mean i have to ask more about the the lionfish <laughs> why what was, the, was that for relevant to like what, what did you get offered this was it something you came up with what was the what was the story there well actually that brings up a good point is you know it's supposed to be all of your assignments are supposed to be anonymous aren't they mm -hmm. and until they've marked them but i was like this completely defeats the whole purpose because every lecturer knew which assignment was why because I I was the only one who didn't do a mammal. <laughs> like they just they just knew. They were like, oh, it's the fish. Okay, it's going to be Felix's assignment, or it's the invertebrates. Um, so I was like, well, that's not really fair. But um, no, it's for the training. Um, you had to. Um, it was almost um, a training scheme that you put together, mm -hmm. a training regime, and you had to have a rationale of why you were doing it. And then you were basically giving background to what research and training techniques you were going to imply. And then you sort of kept a log and um, notes on how each training session went. And so it was, you know, a full thing that you could then sort of give to the keeper and be like, here, I've done that. And so because we have the zoo on site, um, we mm -hmm. um, were quite lucky we've got this 10,000 litres, I want to say um aquarium something like that and um pretty big and it uh has a lionfish and so for those who might not be aware they um have very venomous spines mm -hmm. um 
And uh, apparently it's been described to me as um, getting hit with a baseball bat with nails in it in, you know, your sensitive areas. Um, And you've got to go (laughs) straight to hospital for that. So if they want to clean the tank, I mean, there are lots of different methods in aquariums um, with large scale aquariums and how to clean them. But there was a lot of hardscape features. So that's your rocks and uh, the background. So it's not just see through when you can see all the filtration at the back. And so uh, there was buildup of algae, you know, they would like to get someone properly in, which would mean just even like not properly a diver but someone just to get in um but they've got the lionfish and you could catch it um but when you're using those finer nets um the spines get tangled easily and that can cause stress to the fish um and um you know could cause um potential accidents if it's then trying to escape and you might have to cut the nets which are then again is sort of ruining equipment. So a better um, option was to try and crate train it. So if you can go go over here, Simba, he was called Simba, the lionfish, of course. Of course. Of course. <laughs> um, um, if you can train them to go into a crate, um, you know, of their own accord, um, mm-hmm. and they can just, you can just put the top on and they're used to it, it means that they're sort of in one corner and then someone can safely enter and leave the tank. So that entailed me going and the tank, there was almost a gap before the top of the tank. So it involved me just on my stomach lying down with a sharpened bamboo stick um, with um, bits of muscle on the end of it. Um, (laughs) Just um, sort of conditioning Simba to be like, this is good. You want this because it's (laughs) a high high quality, high reward food. And then having, um, as I was saying, a stick with like... um, a ball pit ball that's glued on the end of it um, next to it to be to associate so say look the ball means food it's good mm-hmm. and so then I was trying to get it to go to different parts of the tank um, you can train anything but with things um, like fish which some might depending on the species have sort of low lower cognitive ability let's say that um, I'm not you know poor fish they get a bad rap and um <laughs> and so you've just got to repeat things quite a lot so after that it was you know smaller steps than you might do with a mammal where depending on how things are going you can maybe skip a step or say oh actually they're pretty confident with this and so from there um I was just then putting the crate in the water so it was you know getting accustomed to it even when I wasn't there for training sessions and then slowly and surely but surely I was getting it closer and closer until it was in there and then you slowly you know put the top on it but only for you know briefly and then you extend the time as you go on so it's just this gradual um, Mm -hmm. progression that you um, just plan out and you know and then hopefully fingers crossed it works (laughs) and it did in the end so that's good that's fantastic and really interesting and I think people probably don't give fish enough credit because I know for a fact there are people I've told repeatedly certain things and they don't pick it up so if a fish eventually can pick things up I would say that's they're doing just as well as some people so yeah, sure. <laughs> can't blame it can't blame it um that's fantastic um and really really interesting and yes I think kind of loops on into another issue because you or another issue it's not <laughs> that means it sounds so serious another topic that I wanted to discuss which was to do with education so you mentioned there you kind of had a little bit there you had the courses there 
in zoo education and kind of that element of conservation. And I guess was that the first spark then for was that the first spark then for you wanting to go on and kind of become an educator, or was it something that maybe kind of what was the impact of that? And yeah, how did you end up down the education road? Um, I mean, looking back, I um, actually have always enjoyed teaching people about things, mm-hmm. um, especially cool animal facts, um, as I think we all yep. did when we were younger. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, there was like one instance where, oh, this is so um, Dubai, where just because you've got like these quite um, extravagant houses and rich shakes and everything, they always have like peacocks in their gardens and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then on golf courses and all sorts, like that was just my normal. It's so weird. And um, <laughs> anyway, and so I think one had escaped or something and we had a peacock in our garden. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> like Just because they were like my favorite bird at the time because of like the plume and everything I was like ah. like we, we went to uh Alain Zoo which had like a white peacock and I was like losing my mind <laughs> like, it was amazing and anyway and my dad was like oh well we've got to try catch it and give it to the vet and I was like if you try corner it's going to fly and he was saying peacocks don't fly and I was like yes they do <laughs> I was having a full argument with him anyway they tried to um corner it and then it flew on the roof so I was just, and so that was that's like a resounding moment when I was like five or something you know just telling my dad I told you so and um but anyway um so from that you know fast forward um when I was doing my b-tech um there was an opportunity to be um uh, for leadership, um, an education leadership role, um, because since the zoo on site is a licensed zoo, it has to be open to the public and they've got to, um, you know, provide educational opportunities. And so they had an outreach team that would book schools in to have visits, link it to the curriculum, they'd have a nice day out, and then they would hopefully go away learning something that, you know, is a nice curriculum link. Mm-hmm. Um so I started on that um, and so I shadowed some of the guides and then soon enough I was leading these group, you know, primary school groups, and which was brilliant because it was a flexible role. I wasn't tied to a contract, but I still got some pocket money, which was always a bonus. And um, so I was doing that all through college and university. But then in my final year, as stated, I... Um, was doing that module in scientific communication and zoo education. So I took on um, a few more roles at the zoo. Um, so I was working closely with the education officer, doing like helping out in holidays with zoo school and zoo academy, mm-hmm. um, with homeschooled groups that were coming in to do sessions. And then also in my final year, since um, we weren't at university um, all week, it wasn't as full time since you know we were getting to the end of it. I I also volunteered um, for a term um, at a local primary school on one of my days off, just so I was getting that formal education experience as well as informal. Mm-hmm. So it was sort of an amalgamation of all of these things put together. Um, I wasn't sold on a master's um, in mm-hmm. third year. I thought, mm, I'm don't really want to do more of this actually um (laughs) that sounds really bad but no as in there was there wasn't uh enough um there were um options that I thought again looking at 
what those graduates went on to do mm-hmm. um, related to what I was interested in. So yeah. after looking at zoo conservation, education jobs, they were saying, oh, it's quite um, desirable to have um, a PGCE, which is a postgraduate certificate in education, which mm-hmm. is um, what you need to do if you want to become a qualified teacher. Um, and so me, with my bright ideas, was like, oh, that sounds like a great idea. I'm going to go and <laughs> I'll, I'll become a teacher. And then I can either do that and go down that road of just being a formal teacher um, and just mm-hmm. that mad science teacher you see usually. <laughs> uh, or I'll take that and then I can go and do more environmental um, conservation-based education. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And so, yes, how did you then end up? I suppose you, you said at the start you ended up being a teacher for a while. So how did you end up kind of skewing too much to the side <laughs> that was maybe the backup plan? How did that happen? Um, I kind of <laughs> fell into it, really, um, because um, the PGCE that I took was a school direct one where mm-hmm. it was instead of being lecture, you know, based um, at a university, uh, it was almost you were learning on the job. So four days a week I was in a primary school and then one day a week I was um, having uh, lectures, but it was by staff in this, the cluster of schools that were part of that program, mm-hmm. um, which is better for me because I'm quite a practical, hands-on learner. You know, I thought there's no point learning about behavior management in a, you know, a lecture when you just have to do it and say, you know, from your experiences. Um, but uh, yeah, and I just, I did enjoy it. And I, I think is because in my last placement, I had probably the best class I've ever had and they were just amazing and I then thought well I'll do supply teaching because that's a bit more flexible I've been in Mm full-time education for four years now and see how that goes Um, and then the first school I went to they offered me a full-time contract so I was like (laughs) right I guess we're doing that Um, and uh, not gonna lie money is also um, a bit of um, you know, a pull. Um, <laughs> and um, it was just it was just convenient since I'd been offered that full time position. It was a really nice mm-hmm. school. I got on with all the staff. Uh, the kids were great. I thought, well, I'll do my um, you've got as a new teacher, you've got an ECT an early career teacher um, period of two years before mm-hmm. you're sort of fully qualified. And so I thought I'll do my ECT. And then the world's my oyster, can do whatever. Um, And anyway, (laughs) cut to about three weeks ago, it was in March, sort of mid-March, beginning of March, Mm. um, the head said, I'll observe one of your lessons. And so I said, okay, great. And she observed one of my lessons. And then we had a meeting afterwards and she has a coaching background as well. And so does a lot of value work. And she Mm. kind of, you know, a short story was, she said, the, you don't really believe in this, do you? Or you don't really want to do this. <laughs> and, I was, and I was kind of taken a bit off guard, but because I sort of, um, you know, we had quite a good relationship, I was just there like, no. <laughs> and um, she just said, you know, she had only seen me outside of the classroom interacting with the kids and also on the playing field. I'd done loads for that outdoor area. I put wood chip for pass. I'd sawed down their willow so that it would coppice so I could weave it. And like I was doing all of these things like their eco committee as well. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I think she could see that I was more interested in that than mm-hmm. sitting in the classroom and marking books um, and getting forcing children to work in books. <laughs> and um, and I said, yeah, yeah, you're right there. So um, so she said, just go have a think about it. And then that night I applied um, for the, I put a deposit down for the forest school leader course and I came back and she said, I've done that. And she said, okay, do that then. Um, so it was up and, but so it was all, you know, positives where everyone was on the same page, nothing negative happened. Mm-hmm. And um, since then, yeah, things fell into place. I then applied for the Wildlife Trust position and got shortlisted and then got the job for that as well. Mm -hmm. So it seemed like the right decision. Like everything seems to have um, happened for a reason, which is good. Yes, yes. I think that's the perfect, like, and yeah, I feel like if it's one of those things, especially it must have been hard being someone who didn't kind of grow up in primary schools and doing primary school education in the UK. Then becoming a teacher in a primary school, my mind is like, why? What? I feel like she'd probably have been like already like, this seems strange. He doesn't know what he's let himself in for here. Like, um, yeah, no, for, that, sh- yeah, for sure. I know. I was just going to say, um, <laughs> uh, in a way, it was a unique opportunity because I was mm-hmm. going in with an open mind and I thought, mm-hmm. oh, they'll all be kind of similar, right? And then it was like, wrong. <laughs> and, um, you know, so my first placement on my PGC was completely different to my second placement. Mm-hmm. And um, again, completely different to um, when I was on supply. So it's um, it was, you know, interesting to know how the system worked. And I was like, okay, not for me. Don't agree with it. <laughs> I'm going to do something else. <laughs> Yes, and and that brings you to now, which is your kind of forest school course and kind of the wildlife trust and all that sort of stuff. And so transitioning into that kind of outdoor education must feel like the correct thing to have done and kind of seem like you're back where you belong almost. Is that kind of, that's kind of correct, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, yesterday I was, um, I've got a site for my forest school but mm. it's very much overgrown and has been left to its own devices. So it was almost, <laughs> imagine, you know, those scenes in, you know, where they're going through the rainforest with like machetes and stuff. <laughs> it, that, that was me with loppers, like wrestling conifers and things like that. Just prepare, all sustainably managed. I will say that I'm not just <laughs> chopping down trees, um, you know, um, or it's, you know, introduced um, or, you know, really you know hardy species that i know will come back and yeah and i was just in my you know just sweating like getting cobwebs and everything on me but you know it was brilliant it was a sort of like yes this is what i want to do and um also the holistic development learning side i think is way more beneficial for children growing up i won't mm-hmm. go into that because that's a whole nother podcast of me <laughs> me against the education department of education um, so that could be part um, two once we yeah. once we've covered all the good fun stuff we can come back for a ranty episode about whatever yeah, well, that <laughs> well i destroy my reputation <laughs> um but yeah so um it was just from doing the training um you know it helps with you know motor skills and balance and you know cognition and it's mm-hmm. that it's child-led and um you know it's not as people think where they're like oh you're just going to go to the fire and sing you know come by ya you know <laughs> with the, the guitar or something you know wonderwall um and, 
<laughs> and um, but uh, and so there is, you know, so much research behind it where I just think mm-hmm. it's so beneficial for children, especially in this day and age, as we know, with you know, they you can't get away from technology. You know, when I talk to kids, oh, what did you do during half term? Oh, I was just on Xbox. You know, they don't leave the house unless they've mm-hmm. got, act, you know, parents who are actively getting them involved. And, you know, it's great to see these campaigns from different wildlife nature organizations, you know, trying to get more children out. But, you know, it's just the case in point that I think it's a third of UK children, I might need to check this fact, but it's something like a third of UK children spend more less time outdoors than um, high security um, prisoners, something like that. That's frightening. That's yeah. really scary. Yeah. And so things like that where, you know, and from firsthand anecdote experiences, you know, I worked with a boy with ADHD and, you know, he was sort of labeled the naughty child you know Mm -hmm. in the class but I could see he was so capable and so clever and it was just he wasn't engaged with what was going on because he's you know you don't they're not allowed to you know we call them schemas where you know fiddling with a pen is actually helping them process and Mm -hmm. take in the information but they're not allowed to do that they're not allowed to get up and walk around because it's more um crowd control than teaching um Mm -hmm. and so he was always getting in trouble but when i took him out and and he said we found a a log and he said oh i want to make a bug hotel i was like brilliant let's make a bug hotel (laughs) so i brought in my um my drill and i said here you go eight-year-old child (laughs) and um (laughs) and um (laughs) which sounds bad but um you know the concert he was so focused and you know had the right stance it didn't wobble at all he was just like just did it by himself and it was just amazing to see and it just shows you know if you act more as a facilitator and guide them what they can achieve you know it always surprises you and yeah that's why i just thought yeah this is what is more ben- what i think is more beneficial so i want to be able to provide that service for kids who maybe don't have that luxury Mm -hmm. I think so. I think it's good for any... I feel like, yeah, growing up and going to scouts and all these sorts of things, I feel like the times when you're outdoors and doing things, and yes, being handed a saw, age, whatever it is, as I was, (laughs) um, as well, like, I feel like you're getting... Like, it gives you responsibility and it teaches you all of these things that go alongside... Beyond nature, kind of, and loving of nature, it teaches you a lot of social skills, a lot of, kind of, like, um, practical skills, just kind of... Yeah, I think it builds a more rounded person generally no matter who you are where you kind of what your opportunities have been if you get outside and do these things it can help um yeah really make a a big difference on your life yeah in a big big way so yes couldn't agree more for i think something that might be good to highlight for listeners is we've been talking about forest schools but if somebody doesn't know what a forest school necessarily is what how would you describe it to somebody like what would you what would you yeah how would you pitch a forest school to someone who didn't really know about them Okay, yes, this is, I've done all of this in my training, so I should be good at this. So if you think as an umbrella term, we've got outdoor education, which very self-explanatory, you do anything outside, that's outdoor education, even if it's on the playground, PE, that's outdoors. Um, 
You then have environmental education, which is specifically based around your natural history, sciences, geography. And so the work I do with Wildlife Trust is environmental education. And that is still led by someone. It's still planned. You've got sort of a session outline for that. Mm -hmm. Um, Forest school um, is based around six forest school principles. So that still, um, you know, falls under the outdoor learning umbrella but it has to be um, led by a professional. So someone who has a level three in forest schools, um, forest school training, um, it is holistic. So it gives, um, you know, for that, it's, as you said, looking at the whole child. So their emotional, physical, social uh, development. It's risk-taking as well. Mm-hmm. Um, not like life or death, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> suitable risk, but risk doesn't have to be physical necessarily with, mm-hmm. you know, whittling with a knife. It could also be a social risk, you know, trying to, you know, ask to be included in a game or to, you know, there's lots of different ways, um, you know, risk as can be um defined and used um it's also long term so mm-hmm. to see to have that benefit it has to be over uh, a long period of time it has to be in a natural setting uh, obviously forest school um but there's <laughs> there's also beach school training as well so for mm-hmm. coastal areas they'll um obviously be utilizing those coastline areas and then uh, the main one uh, i think that Uh, differentiates it is it's child-led and child-initiated majority of the time so you can have a rough plan of what you're going to do in a session but if the kids go i want to play another game after you've done one game you're not going to go no i've got this less this really nice lesson plan that i spent (laughs) hours on you're going to go okay let's play another game or um you know let's you know i can see that they're really enjoying um, working with clay and um, making things out of clay. Let's just do more of that. You know, it's no, it's not mm-hmm. defined. Um, you know, that you've got to tick off these objectives that they've got to achieve because that you know each child is different and is going to need different things. Your job is as a you know a pedagogue almost is to observe these, reflect on them, and then for the next session come back and. Um, you know, give them what they require for their personal development. So, you know, there might be a kid that's just digging a hole with a stick and is just (laughs) really interested in digging this hole. Um, The next session, you might say, oh, here's how we can whittle that stick so it's sharper, so you can dig a (laughs) bigger hole. And then it might be what kind of stick, you know, what what species, what tree, you know, wood Mm -hmm. would be best for digging this hole. Maybe we can look at tool use. How can we use a mallet so that we can get the stick really deep into the soil? And through that, you've actually taught them, you know, tree identification you've taught them safe tool use which is fine and gross motor skills as well as um you know for them to but but it's all led by them and it's up Mm -hmm. to them on what they choose to go so you're just providing uh the resources and a bit of guidance um to make sure that they are safe as well when they're doing that (laughs) that's fantastic i think it's a great thing because i'm always behind anything that kind of teaches kids the skills alongside the kind of practical skills the skills to identify things that are around 
them in nature as well because i think a lot of documentaries that kids stick on will be about like elephants or tigers or things that are far away so having these identification skills for like local areas where they're growing up in is is also so important and i think i didn't realize how few people seem to get that so it's it's i think a forest school should be really is really important because it's it's one of those things i think it was during one of my lectures i was sitting and they the lecturer was flashing up images of local seabirds Um, because I was in St Andrews and it was kind of one of these things where everyone sat around me granted some of them weren't from kind of around St Andrews but there was a couple from the UK and they were kind of listening and kind of going um I don't know what that is I don't know what that is I don't know what that is and I was sat there and it was like you know that way where the lecture you could see was getting wound up by the fact I was like oyster catcher this type of gull that type of gull, this, that, and the next thing. And having those skills, like I think is so important. And it was only in that circumstance I realized not a lot of people have them. So to have a, a, a program that kind of equips all of these different intelligences um, and identification things, it's it's fantastic and really interesting. And I think, yeah, I feel like if I ended up, if I end up with kids one day, they'll definitely be forced to do that one way or another. Um, whether they want to, whether it's pouring with rain or snowing or hail, they'll be out doing that sort of thing. So that's fantastic. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even on the course, um, mm-hmm. we have to. You have to be able because they say you know that outdoors is your office now, mm-hmm. um, and <laughs> you need to know what all the resources are and where mm-hmm. everything goes. And so we went around, and the instructor's going, "What's this tree?" I was like, "Beach." He's like, "Yeah." And he's like, what's this one? I was like, Hawthorne. And he, he was starting, as he said, to get a bit annoyed at me. He was like, <laughs> not you, someone else. What's this one? <laughs> and, um, and But that's just, you know, it's, as we said, we're, we're the gap, um, we're just losing touch with nature. You know, mm-hmm. small things like um, acorn and uh, words like this are being taken out of child dictionaries and more technological terms are being put you know and so mm-hmm. kids are saying you know that thing or this and they don't actually know and and that's one thing uh, that to get that connection you mm-hmm. you know every time if i did a tour it's what's that what's the name of that animal or you know what's its name you know it just to that's the first step to then you know remembering it and sort of banking it in your mind and um yeah, you know, and it would happen all the time with that identifying, you know, the kids just don't know. And I'm going, oh, it's a hawthorn. We can, um, or it's it's a hazel. We can make bow and arrows out of that. And um, and just knowing that there's a use for it. And mm-hmm. as I said, you know, being part of that full project and what's what can that be used for and seeing it um, the whole way through gives that uh, those children that opportunity to, yeah, just reconnect, really. Mm-hmm. Mm, it's fantastic it's yeah and yeah i i don't know there's i feel like if there's anyone listening who wants to to get involved in something like that google kind of your local forest school and if you've got kids send them to whatever it is because i'm sure they'll be all it won't just be a type of thing that's around where felix is there will be them presumably all over definitely the uk if not further afield i i guess yes um, um it used to be separated between sort of england wales scotland northern ireland where they were saying we're all doing our own different things but then we've all banded together again under the forest school association um mm. and uh, under those six principles um and so yeah they are across the whole country um you can go on the forest school association and look for your an accredited provider but you know 
it doesn't necessarily have to be accredited. Um, they can mm-hmm. just be as good. It's just almost a little sticker badge saying you're doing, you know, the si- you're following the six principles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even I feel like, yeah, I'd even say do things like force your kids to do things like Scouts or Duke of Edinburgh Awards or something like that. The bear, like get them to do all these outdoor things because I feel like they are fantastic. Yeah, for sure. If you if you're able to, I mean, that goes mm-hmm. into another thing of, you know, socioeconomic mm-hmm. factors, green spaces. Um, you know, I was interested in doing Duke of Edinburgh. I was like, oh, Duke of Edinburgh. Oh, 190 pounds. I'm not doing that. Can't do that. <laughs> and um, and so um, I didn't get that opportunity, even though I knew I probably would have loved it. And mm-hmm. I just had to be resourceful and i would just uh, find as i said with the volunteering with the um aquarium and things mm-hmm. i just found other ways to get involved but it was all led by me i mean my my mom has been really supportive and with mm-hmm. all my interests and she's put up with a lot and, um, <laughs> although she did say she was saying you can only have one thing so i was like i'm gonna get an aquarium because i kind of get multiple species in that <laughs> um, whereas if i if i had frogs or something i could only have one or two but i was like oh i'll have the aquarium and then it's I can get loads of things there and it's the plants and animals. It's a whole ecosystem. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, so she was very supportive, but you know, it majority has come from just my personal drive to mm-hmm. find a way and find these things and, um, you know, making it as easy as possible for people and young people, especially who want to get involved is definitely something um, I want to make more accessible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's it's one of those things that I, yeah, you kind of, yeah, I kind of, and it's not that I forget about it. It's just one of the things that I feel like at my school, Duke of Edinburgh was, it was paid, but it was very low because co- we, being in Scotland, you can go outside, walk about three feet and you're up a mountain. So it was like, <laughs> they, they didn't have to charge a lot for it. But I suppose, yeah, we're in places where it's a bit more flat or where there's less kind of, uh, <laughs> <laughs> a bit, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was, um, yeah, I distinctly remember, and it was just when we were going through, you know, a bit of a rough patch as a family that it just mm-hmm. wasn't, you know, feasible. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, but you find other ways, you know, I did mm-hmm. beekeeping on the school roof, you know, I, I did lots of different <laughs> things. <laughs> what? I feel like that's a health and safety nightmare. What? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Oh, it was brilliant. We got um, like over 100 jars of honey in our first harvest, Um, but we made them from scratch and everything. And it's because the greenhouse was on the roof. Weird layout for school, I will say. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, there's railings and everything, but we're like in the full bee suit get up. <laughs> and uh, and I learned so much about bees. And um, yeah, we we harvested the honey and everything. Um, I mean, we had once where the, they swarmed in the playground squad, and so we had to go down with like the beekeeper and like evacuate the school playground and like <laughs> rescue these bees back into a box. And all my classmates were just like, "What are you doing?" Because I was just walking through the corridors like in a bee. So I was like, hi guys. (laughs) So, um, yeah, um, it's almost like I didn't go to school. I only remember these sort of things, um, but they've been the most helpful. Yeah. I was going to say, this is not, 
if probably the least classic example of education I think I've ever <laughs> ever heard in my life. Um, but it just goes to show that you can do really anything and end up <laughs> where you want to be. So, <laughs> yeah, an I inspiring think, message. <laughs> yeah, I think with that homeschool background, I just wasn't as indoctrinated sometimes with what mm-hmm. you were supposed to do <laughs> in formal education. I was like, mm, I'm not. No, I don't want to do that. So I'm not going to. And. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was usually a bit more sneaky about it, with, but I, I, you know, because of homeschool, we did so much extracurricular um, activities and, you know, we were the proper sort of Renaissance children. And, uh, and, um, and so I gave value to those skills and um, experiences because I learned more from them from than being in the classroom. So, you know, I played the game. I got the GCSEs, I got what I had to do. Um, and then, but then I just tried to make it as interesting as possible. So I was, you know, in the orchestra, I was doing beekeeping, I was, you know, doing all these other things that I thought, mm-hmm. you know, this is the, you know, a unique place where all of these things are all together. Mm-hmm. So I'll just, you know, you know, take advantage while I can. And I mean, we're going to have beehives on my forest school site so you know full circle it's all relevant (laughs) yeah definitely definitely um and i think that um i feel like this shouldn't have been what i was thinking the whole time you were talking but i assume you are familiar with the the very popular film mean girls all I can think about is you're the Katie Heron who's like come from Dubai in this case instead of Africa and is doing all of these <laughs> these practices that are non-classic kind of thing <laughs> and just come what to way? this like this, yeah this relatively normal school like why why is he like that why is he... <laughs> but he's just like amazing <laughs> yeah, yeah I know what you mean actually it is very like that mm-hmm. um but people are just like, oh, that's just Felix. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. And I think we'll kind of loop back to this. Uh, we're, we've talked about this for a long time now. So yes. I think what we'll do is we will loop back to this at the end when I, I like to ask for advice and things for people. So if anyone is looking for advice on things, we'll come back to that at the end. But I think what we'll transition into now is a little chat about the, the Chester Zoo Youth Board, because I wanted to ask, make the time to ask you about that as well. Hello everyone, sorry to interrupt, but me and Felix had such a great time talking that the conversation went on for another hour. So, I have made the executive decision to split this in two. We'll keep this first section all about forest schools, and next week Felix will be back to chat all about the incredible Chester Zoo youth board, and some of the weird creatures that are hidden away in Chester Zoo. Um, really Come back and listen to it because there are some strange, strange things there. Um, But uh, yes, that means for now that we have to wrap up, unfortunately. So, so sorry. So, so sorry. Um, (laughs) So um, until next time, of course, you can find all of the links we discussed today in the description for this week's episode. You can also find links to find us on social media down there as well. We are at Pangolin Podcast on everything, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on Facebook or wherever you're going at Pangolin Podcast. We're on there. You can also make sure to follow us on your podcast streaming service of choice, whether that be Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever it is, we are on there. So please make sure and give us a follow so you don't miss out when Felix comes back next week. (laughs) Now, um, yes, that brings us to the end of the show. So all I've got to say is a massive thank you to, to Felix for his time and a massive thank you to all of you for listening as well. And until next time, everybody. 
thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And <laughs> I think I said thank you enough, didn't I? <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And goodbye. Goodbye.